Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I'm going to take a reading from the book of 1 Kings, the third chapter. And in the third chapter, a wonderful story is given of a wonderful man called Solomon. And I believe that those of you who have worked with God for some time actually are acquainted with this story. From verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. There's something there, burning incense in high places. Okay? It's a consecration of our place of prayer and to learn to ascend in prayer. You know, many people know how to pray, but they don't know how to ascend in prayer. They don't know how to move closer and closer to the realities of the Spirit as ordained in truth in their place of prayer. And it's more than just screaming. It's more than just raising tempos. It's more than just, you know, praying faster or sweating or shaking. I've seen people who are shaking, screaming, but they're not moving an inch spiritually. It's a place of understanding. It's a place of understanding. Every time you see high places, places of invitation, and in the Revelation, the Bible says, come up thither. You know, these are places of ascension. And we all pray from different frequencies. And as high as your frequencies are, so are the results that you have in prayer. The fervent prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, the fervent prayer, the fervent prayer. That place called fervency, requires some sort of ascendance. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But that's not for today. The Bible says it goes to Gibeon to sacrifice there. In the fifth verse, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream by the night and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Okay? In a dream. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou mayst give him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in the stead of David my father, and I am but a little child, and I know not to go out or to come in. Underline that. I know not how to go out or how to come in. The issue here is how. How. How? I don't know how to do this. Okay? And then he continues to say, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant, listen to the prayer, an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people. It's still in the ninth verse. I'm giving the amplified version. So give your servant, listen, an understanding mind and a hearing heart. Give your servant an understanding mind and a hearing heart. 
Okay? Let's continue. Verses 10, KJV. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself, listen, long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of your enemies. Listen to those three things. I want you to note them. He did not ask for one, long life. Two, he did not ask for riches, nor ask for the life of his enemies. But he asked for himself understanding to discern and judge. He says, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee, listen, a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee and i've also given thee that thou hast not asked both riches and honor so that there shall be no any other among the kings like unto thee all thy days all thy days quite a lot to unpack but i pray god gives me the utterance This man is in a vision, in a dream in the night. God asks him what he wants. And I've said this before a couple of years ago, those of you who are just new in Fonero. Whenever God makes a covenant with a man in a dream, the Bible says he wants to rob that man of purpose and pride. That that man will not ask according to how he thinks only in purpose, or according to the pride that comes with knowledge. Are you following? The Bible says, when men are sleeping in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed, the Bible says, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. So that when you come out of that dream, you'll not say it is me. In other words, the prayer that Solomon makes was an instruction given to him, planted in his heart by his father, not necessarily what he could have retained in his own mind. In fact, he alludes to that. And he says that I was my father's word, child, tender and beloved in the sight of my mother. Verses 4. He taught me, listen, and said unto me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and leave. Next verse. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. This is Solomon testifying of his father that when he was a little child, this father always instructed him, get wisdom, get understanding. Get wisdom, get understanding. Get wisdom, get understanding. But little did Solomon know that the day God would encounter him, he would rob him of the purpose and pride to remember as of what his mind would retain but bring out or manifest what was planted in his spirit by the instruction of his father was understood it some instructions god will rob you of purpose and pride in participation especially when it comes to certain higher callings in god there are things that i think he knew if he gets this man awake he will not answer right he may not answer right he may ask like men ask. And so there's no coincidence when he says that because you ask me not for riches, neither for long life, nor for the life of your enemies, that means perhaps it was expected that that could have been what he might or could have asked for. But he rather asked 
Four, a wise heart and an understanding one. Because that's what his father told him. Get wisdom and get understanding. Get wisdom and get understanding. May the decline from the words of my mouth. That was a seed planted. That's why I tell parents, the instructions you give your children, you never know when they will come out, but they eventually do come out. So make sure you instruct right. Make sure you instruct right. Anyway, back to our story here. So, but I also see, before I get into, you know, the main text, that there are things which if you ask for, other things will follow. And it's the wisdom of understanding the higher laws, what we call higher truths. Why certain truths are higher than other truths. Why certain truths can lead you into certain truths. The wisdom of the just. That certain realities cannot manifest in your life without certain truths foundationally. If you ask for certain things, you might have to ask for so much for which certain men, when they go before God, will not ask of and ask for something higher which will bring all that you're asking for. Are you following what I'm saying? Look at what Solomon asked and look at what had to follow him. Look at what had to follow him. God said, because you have asked for it, I've given you a wise and an understanding word, heart. And he says, and I've also given you riches. I've given you honor. He gave him many things because he asked for the important thing. That's why I say again, there are things if you ask for, other things will come because you asked right. Are you following what I'm saying? But that's not why I wanted to lay my emphasis this evening. I wanted to lay my emphasis this evening on the thing I believe for so long and for as long as I have had people preach, as long as I've had ministers preach, every time we get on this text, we define only one aspect of what God gave Solomon, not two aspects. And yet God in emphasis in language and in truth was very clear. He gave two things, which in a way look like they're the same, but they are differentiated in the divine language. He says, I have done according to your words. I have given thee, listen, a wise and an understanding heart. God said there are two things. Both take place in the human heart. But I have put one wisdom and I have put another understanding. What did his father tell him? Ask for wisdom. Seek for wisdom and understanding. Why did I read it for us in the Amplified when Solomon is asking? For you to know that when Solomon was praying to God, he did not say, give me a wise heart like many people teach. They are not wrong. It's just that the revelation is not complete. Are you following? He did not say, give me a wise heart. No, he says, give your servant an understanding mind and a hearing heart. An understanding mind and a hearing heart. These are the two things that reconcile that perfection as regards to the gift God gave Solomon. It's not complete only if you're talking about a wise heart. It's important to emphasize this thing called an understanding one. Or it's important for you to separate an understanding mind and a heart that judges right. It's important to separate IQ, intelligence, quotient, and EQ, emotional quotient. These are the two things. 
an understanding mind will help a man scale in science, in mathematics, in physics, in history, in geography, in whatever you know skill and training there is. But a hearing heart, a hearing heart is the heart that will help a man judge right. Those are two things. Like you will look at how life has been spelled. We have people who are very intellectually upright. Their mental acuity is up there. If you sit them in a class, they'll get A's. They will ace. You understand? Then you say, but this person is very smart. They go to school and they get 90, 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. But they don't have understanding. They don't judge right. They're not emotionally intelligent. They don't know how to work with people. And it is rare to find people who have both at very high levels. Some of the smartest people we knew in school. If you looked at them, there was just something. Do I have a witness? Hey, did you look at Sky smart, but there's something missing. On a cold day, you find him drinking Coca-Cola with, with ice. You know, you know what it is, but, but here, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So to find the reconciliation of both, oh, what, what a rich text. You see, if you have studied human growth and development, it's ancient wisdom, by the way, it's ancient wisdom. When a child is born in the world, the first months of life are just impulsive. They respond to what they feel. They are hungry, they will cry to feed. They're feeling hot, they'll scream to be comforted. They're feeling pain, they'll cry. That's all they know. They can't think anything outside that. But as they continue to grow, they start to carry some emotions. They start to understand some aspects. At least by age three, four, they start to understand aspects like love. They start to understand aspects like gratitude. Now their mind is trying to reconcile with what they're feeling. And that's the essence of orientation. That's why you get an education. To awaken your mind to work right and reconcile with your emotions and find purpose with your emotions. That's what education does. It helps your mind reconcile or find purpose with the things you feel. And then you start to educate this child slowly as they continue to grow. You teach them, no, that's not how they answer people. Because you're angry, you don't go and get a stone and, and hit the television. You're trying to help them know that it, sometimes you'll feel, you know, out of place and, you know, disappointed, disgruntled, irritated and arced. That's okay. But how you respond is important. Now you're teaching them to be human beings. You take them to school and they sit next to somebody from a different tribe, a different ethnicity, a different color. 
you know, different family and they need to learn or have to learn to work or live with these people, coexist and build life as human beings should. That is why people who don't have an opportunity to go to school, some of them, not all, some of them struggle in a few areas in life. Why? Because some perhaps are not exposed in this orientation. So certain things in there, in our education systems, are deliberate to awaken your mind to know how to be a responsible citizen to your nation. But as you continue to grow, you reach a place in life where your mind ascends over your emotions. That's what we call emotional intelligence. That is what we call carrying or bearing the right judgment. A man who bears the right judgment a hearing heart, not a mind, but a hearing heart. That you will wake up sometimes and you feel your emotions lead you one way, but your mind will tame you logically, reasonably. And for us believers mostly, through scripture, to help you direct your carnal feelings so that you don't mess yourself up, destroy your life, or frustrate the essence of God in another person. Otherwise, when you're annoyed, there are people you could have killed. When you got angry, there are people you would have just got on a machete and just cut their head off and go back home and sit because you're angry. But then you tame yourself and say, uh -uh, I think this thing must work. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? You get in control of yourself. You learn to work with people and live with them. That's emotional maturity. That's true judgment. Your mind has taken control over your emotions and they are working together to help you judge things right. Because the mind alone can think anything. Isn't it true? The mind can think anything. Somebody can annoy you and you even picture yourself punching them in the teeth. And the picture plays in your head when you're... And they're like, uh-oh. You see? It's in your head. But there's something in there that tells you, mm -mm, this is not who you are. Isn't it? Now, I cannot tell you how many Christians, they're not demon-possessed. They're not bewitched by their auntie's uncle. They don't have a generational curse. They don't have anything following them from third generation. No. They just don't have an understanding heart. I cannot tell you how many people right now have lost the greatest opportunity of their lives because they lack this thing called emotional intelligence. They don't know how to work with people. there's a person on this ground they entered an interview office and the way they responded before the interviewers was enough even before they spoke a thing to know that they were not the right candidates for that job and sadly you find that same brother going you know i have this demon this thing of our generations my grandfather didn't get a job my father didn't get a job i think there's something following me or 
<laughs> better still they start looking for a prophet who they think is going to prophesy to them the day and the death they are going to get a job and think that God is going to bypass the wisdom necessary to sustain that job. I cannot tell you how many women are not married because one day the man who was looking at you one time phoned you in a brawl. You, you were exchanging words. Eh? Don't, don't make me show you my true colors. My true colors. Nance Combi, I will show you my true colors. The guy's watching in the mirror. And then you took off your wig and put it there and said, What are you saying? What? <laughs> And the brother was like, oh, oh, he put up his window. Then you went in your lunch hour. No, Oh, sorry for my American friends. That's an African song, meaning I'll get married. I'll get, yeah. <laughs> And they get that person and they take them in a deliverance. Go, go, go. What are they chasing out? Some demons can't be chased out. They are only instructed out. Eh, they didn't get it. Some demons cannot be rebuked out of a person. They can only be instructed out. I'll give you an example. You have never read anywhere in scripture where Jesus rebuked a religious spirit. I haven't seen anywhere where he says, I rebuke that spirit of religion. No, he could rebuke cancer, blind eyes, deaf ears, dead people. But when it gets to a religious spirit, woe unto you. <laughs> but you never heard or saw Jesus casting out a religious spirit. Because religion cannot be cast out. It is preached out. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you look at this individual and the next phase of their life, the next level of their life, they could not judge right the thing that could have introduced them. I wish I can tell you how many pastors I know. I would just sit down and tell him the problem with your church is not a demon, it's not spirits, it's not poverty, it's not the people who hate you. It's not the brother who started a ministry just down the road. It's not the guy who has a radio program and you don't. It's not uh, the problem is why we are people are lo no. Local or some no. I wish I could tell some of these pastors that some things are simply judgment. Right judgment. It's not even a prayer. It's right judgment. You start a service and tell people that we are going to start a service at 10 and it's going to end at 1. Right? A woman leaves her husband home and tells her, I'm going to go for service and I'll come back at one and I'll make sure your food is ready by two. Okay. Say hello to the pastor. She goes to the church, sits there for the service. The spirit of God pushes the service up to five. The man is home. He watches all the soap operas and they are over. He watches every movie. Electricity actually goes off a bit. You understand what I'm saying? Eh? He's home waiting for his wife. And then she goes back home at 6 p.m. 
And let me tell you, if it is the Holy Spirit, it comes with a certain grace. But for some, I wish, there's some I know, this is not just the Holy Spirit. No, this man of God lacks self-control. The fruit of the Spirit called self-control. He cannot tame himself when he's on the altar. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Self-control. To control yourself. To say, yeah, I'm enjoying this thing, but I feel by wisdom and by every other law, scriptural, if this, yeah, the Spirit of God can push this service. But like I said, if he should, then it should be him. Not your lack of self-control. And again, it takes great wisdom to tell the difference. So she gets home and this man slaps her. Bwah, bwah, hey. She goes to the pastor next week. My husband beats me. And then the pastor says, um, you know that man has a demon. We need to pray for that man. He has a demon spirit. <laughs> pastor. Every woman married knows the secret of feeding a man on time. If you don't know it, you're not happy. Men, help me. Hey, no. Because a hungry man, a hungry man is an angry one. They know. My daughters know. If you didn't know it, learn it today. Learn it today. Feed a man on time, you'll be shocked. You'll deal with most of the issues that are disturbing you. You watch people who are not happy and see the time they feed their husbands. No. Proverbs 31 verses 15. Read it. She rises also while it is yet still night and giveth me to her household. There's a reason why the one of Proverbs 31 rises up early. You can't make breakfast at midday. You don't yet understand marriage. You don't understand it yet. Nobody sleeps late here. You put it there. Let him find it in the microwave. But let him find it there. You'll see. You'll thank me. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. So I wish I could tell my brother pastor and tell him no. The problem with your church is you lack self-control. You lack self-control. When the spirit dictates, you will tell. There's a presence and atmosphere. Have you ever been in a meeting and it ends and you don't want to leave? But haven't you also been in a meeting and you're like, oh, what when this thing ending? Not because you're carnal. But something is out of order spiritually. And you don't know how to call it out. The spirit comes with his provisions to minister the comfort necessary if he has to extend his ministration. But how dare do I explain to a man that this was a self-control issue? And that his church can actually fail because he's not disciplined in that aspect. right judgment but perhaps he has good revelation up there is deep he's deep that's probably prophetic too 
and probably has this and probably has that. Yes. But the world does not evolve around your program, man of God. The people we minister to also have programs and lives to live too. If you feel you're a long talker, extend your time of service. And say, yeah, I need two hours or three. You extend it and somebody comes, they are planning against your time. Second Corinthians 14, 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. There is some order in the church of Jesus Christ. There's some order in the church of Jesus Christ. Certain things have to come before others. Are you following what I'm saying? So back to what I was trying to tell us here. I shared once in the church, or twice I think, I was uh, listening to a documentary recently, and in some of the most developed nations, or some of the richest nations like Saudi Arabia, UAE, Oman, and these Muslim nations, now they're investing in educating people on emotional intelligence than IQ, intelligence quotient. Rather, you are smart in how to relate with people than smart in the book. Because many of those people, the Emiratis, they're not born poor. They're not born to be told to make wealth. Many of them are born to be taught how to preserve, keep, multiply what they already have, which is wealth. But you have to teach them those soft skills. How do you talk to a person? How do you introduce yourself? How do you respond when you're under pressure? How do you talk to people? How do you negotiate? How do you tell that this person, do you know there are people who are so emotionally absent? You almost think there's something deeply wrong there. Why do you think in psychology we diagonize things like psychopathy, right? Somebody who is a psychopathetic huh? or a sociopath uh -huh. or people who are narcissistic. One time I was watching a little small story of a young man who is a sociopath. The guy said he's not present to any emotion. That's demonic. Like, if people die, it's what's the big deal? Like nothing. He said that all his life he had to fake emotions because they learn now to fake emotions. And some are here. <laughs> and they're laughing with you. But they're also asking themselves, why are we even laughing? But <laughs> You're free in Jesus' name. Are you following what I'm saying? Then it gets into somebody who has already, they have their PhD. In theology, they're a doctor, they're a bishop, they are, but they're emotionally unstable. They don't know what to say, when to say, what's appropriate and how. You find a believer, a Christian, dancing over another man's coffin. And he's a man of God. That's why the Bible says we error not knowing the scriptures. He didn't say we error because we dreamt the wrong dream. Because some of you are led more by dreams and your foolish imaginations, which can even be sent by the devil. Yet God gave you the standard wherewith to be held in truth. And he said the scriptures. He didn't say you error because you dream wrong or you dream right or you don't interpret the prophecy. No, he said you error not knowing the scriptures. You err not knowing the scriptures. Because if I put this brother in the scripture, he would know the Bible says better to be in the house of the morning than the house of the feasting. It is scriptural. But when the house is morning, it is better you are with them morning. Ecclesiastes 7 to thank you. It is better to go to the house of what? Morning than to go to the house of 
feasting, for that is the end of all men. So I'll tell this person, even though the person who has died, you hated, at least don't show it. That's right judgment. But you see a man dancing on the coffin of a man who has died. Yet even God would not do it. Even if that man was the most wicked person on the earth, God would not do it. Because he wills that all men be saved and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. What has tempted us to think right? The scripture. Even your greatest enemy, you never wish death for them. But I know Christians here saying, I wish that woman dies. I wish that woman dies. And they're waiting for a day to hear this person has died and they're going to celebrate. Oh, they're going to fake mourning. Sorry. But inside they're like, that kind of person, God cannot allow certain things to get to them because they would destroy so much. There are people, if they had a certain power, they would destroy so many. So, this God, in his wisdom, denies certain things for access. Not because they are not available for them, but because they are not ready for these things. And then he grants these things to other people. And then they start becoming envious of those who God has blessed. Yet they are asking for the same thing. And then they fight with envy, but also they are absent. Because if you are fighting what God has ordained, yet it's the same thing you're fasting for. What are the chances that it will come to you? Are you seeing how serious these things are? What are the chances that it will come to you? It can never come. It can't. Because you're fighting the very thing you aspire for. You aspire for right judgment. Right judgment. To judge things right. This thing can reconcile many things. The Bible says it is the reconciliation of knowledge and judgment. That's what the Bible tells us. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more in what? Knowledge huh? and in all judgment. Read it, Philippians 1, 9 to 10. He says, in all knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve or examine the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That means without the right judgment, you offend even without knowing. I didn't do anything to that person. I didn't abuse him. I've not said anything. Yes, but your heart thinks wrong. It does not think according to right judgment. You're not judging things right. You're not judging things right. Okay, you hated the man who has died. Why are you celebrating when you know he has a son? He has children who have not done anything to deserve your celebration. Oh no, the man was wicked. Yes, he was wicked. But the man you're celebrating is already dead. Where would you lose that simple judgment to tell you that those which are alive and mourning need your sympathy, your empathy? Because empathy is one of the highest forms of this wisdom, this judgment, emotional intelligence. You put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Before I abuse this man, let me put myself in his shoes. Before I attack this woman, let me put myself in her shoes. Before I attack this person, let me put myself in the feet or place of his children and imagine what are they thinking. Let me put myself in the place of his wife. Let me put myself in the place of her husband before I take over this man. You understand what I'm saying? Let me put myself in the place of his wife. You see those things? God help us. 
Are you following what I'm saying? Before I speak even about this person, so they are fired from the job. Let me consider their children. Oh no, he didn't consider me too. He has to pay from the full rat. No, if he didn't consider it's because he was not as, you know, aligned to judgment as he ought. That should not let you be consumed by their evil. Because if you are consumed when you can tell the difference, it means you're actually worse. One of us had to do the right thing. That is the essence of Jesus' instruction. If a man slaps one side, turn the other. In other words, because in trying to seek revenge, you might walk out of the bearings of divine judgment. God can fight your battle. God can fight your battle. How many people knew that thought that Jesus dying at 33 was God judging him? Many did. Recently, I saw a video of a witch doctor. I think some of you saw it on television, a Ugandan guy, and he was telling people, you followers of Jesus, how can you follow a man who died at 33? What kind of spirit couldn't keep him long? I looked at the foolishness. I felt sorry for the man. He doesn't know that the Jesus is talking about gave his life. It was not taken. It wasn't taken. He gave his life. He doesn't know that the man we're talking about gave his life. He thinks Jesus died of some spirit. No. But how many thought that Jesus, you know, was killed? He wasn't killed. He gave his life. Only time would judge this for you and I, which are alive now, to see the story unravel into one of the greatest testimonies the earth has ever seen. Somebody shout amen. Are you following what I'm saying? How do you pray for a person with this thing unless you first teach it out first? How? Because I know a big chunk of Christians who are not in God's best because of these little small things. These little small things. How you answered your father, how you answer your mother, how you answer your sisters, how you answer anyone older than you. Because the Bible tells you, esteem old women as mothers, your old men as fathers. The Bible is very clear on these things. God expects us to think that side too. Some of us think you just need revelation, you know, connect mysteries and then find out the seven keys and the secrets of making wealth. Yeah, you have those seven, but you have a nasty attitude. You're unbearable. You have an evil eye. You have uncircumcised ears. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs somewhere that don't listen to everything. Oh, I have educated my spirit over the years and there are things I just refuse to hear. I just don't want to hear them because the Bible in Proverbs tells us don't open your ear to everything. Some of you want to know everything. Who is pregnant? Who is married? Who, is there, who has a car? Who has Whose sister is a brother's cousin? You, like you want to know everything there is in the world. Those are uncircumcised ears. You are going to harness gossip and slander. The very spirit. And the Bible speaks of that as the serpent's, you know, the serpent's tongue. Or whatever you call it. Also take no heed unto all words. Don't listen to every word. There are things that some people would start conversations about and I say, no, 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 no. 
my spirit doesn't feel like I want to hear the whole end of the story. There are things I feel will defile me. Oh, this person said this about you. I know. Don't tell me the, everything they said. Because I'll walk out of love. and But for some of you, you, you hear everything. And the Bible says, least you hear a servant word, curse you. Now, do you know the meaning of that portion of scripture? This is Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon in his old age. This is an adult text. Maturity. And its own judging, right? That a servant cursing you doesn't mean you have to chase them out of your house. Because he that keepeth a servant, well, the Bible says, one day they shall have them for a son. Because some servants have become sons. And sometimes as a father, you'll have to endure the indifference of this servant as they transition into sons. Proverbs 29 verses 21. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child, immature, shall have him become his son at length. Some of them are redeemed. And there are some, we did not need to hear them curse, even though we suspected they could curse us. Because it was the delicate provision of our hearts. It was the delicate leading in our hearts to keep them, to endure their childhood, their immature attitude, because we want to have sons in the end. So, some of them, oh, this person said, no, 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 no. As a man of God, I know they are in a process. One day they'll come out of servanthood. They'll stop transacting from me and receive what's on my life. You know, you must understand that there are things God will never give you except by some men. Some people don't know this, but it's true. Paul says, ye all are partakers of my grace. Some of you don't know that probably you're alive because of a certain someone that was extended to you a certain day. And something was diverted at Nakawa, the lights there, that could have taken you out. Who do you think you are? No, I am simply telling you the Bible. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in as much as both of you, both in my bones and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. There are people, whether you want it or not, you will look back and find that there was something from them that preserved you in a certain season. You might not see it now, but one day you'll see it. But what if then the same people by whom you preserve on the grace operating on your life, you hear cursing? You might say things you're not supposed to say because you're also not mature to what? To hold yourself. To tame yourself. And so you say, no, I don't need to hear this. This I don't want to hear it. Or if I do, I'll do nothing about it. I'll do nothing about it because they're in a process. One day they will wake up. There are people on this ground who abused Jesus one day and you're seated right now listening to his message. You're probably atheist or agnostic or whatever you are, but Jesus still loved you the way you are. Let me tell you, no man is where they are by mistake. No man. There are those other things that some of us don't know. Praise the Lord. Are you learning something? Go back to the story of Moses. You remember when God appears to Moses in the burning bush? Huh? Exodus chapter 4 verses 10. God is now commissioning him to go and talk to Pharaoh. 
Moses says to the Lord, I am not eloquent or a man of words, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and have a heavy and awkward tongue. In other words, it's important, even though you've given me a message, how it's presented is going to be judged. It's going to be judged. And I cannot speak the way it should be presented. Even though you have given it to me, I've received it. But there is judgment that when Pharaoh looks at Moses speaking, there is a way he should speak. So Bible says that the Lord has given me the tongue of the land to know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary and he wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as a landman. That means you must even know how to answer. How to speak certain things. How to say certain things. How to respond to certain things. Ecclesiastes 10 verses 12. The Amplified Version. He says that the words of a wise man are gracious and win him favor. But the lips of a fool consume him. You can be consumed by your lips. Some of you are poor because of how you speak. It's not a demon. No just understanding you don't have a wise heart to know that now this i think i need to keep quiet here some of you are right now somebody's going to sign a divorce paper why because of the way you spoke to her the way you spoke to them not that god would you know approves of whatever they do no god hates divorce but also you must understand that you know you're dealing with people in the flesh too and some people can only take that much you said something you should not have said to her or him. Your mouth is consuming you. Separating you from your children, it's killing your destiny because of how you speak. This is wisdom. You must know how to answer things. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 28, if you'll give me the New Living Translation, Proverbs chapter 15, verses 28, he says, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. I think in the Amplified, it will call it the righteous. The mind of the righteous studies how to answer. So this thing you call righteousness, it tempts you to first study how to answer. Not everything, some things you might even have to postpone and tell somebody, you know what, let me pray about it. Let me sleep over it. Let me think about it. Why? Because you have to answer right. Wisdom of the just. But some of us don't even have the right, you, that's why you're broke. You're not poor because of anything. You are broke because you gave the wrong answer. You lost that job in the interview because you gave the wrong answers you didn't know how to answer and then sometimes when they're interviewing us they give us you know circumstantial you know questions what if your boss did not agree with you and uh, they chose to put you on a two-week suspension or to discipline you by cutting your salary how would you respond and then somebody 46 45 they say why would they cut my salary Ah, the interviewer Max, he's impulsive. Low emotional intelligence. You're asking the people who you want to employ you why they should cut your salary under discipline. They would ask things like, in your former work, uh, you know, experience, what is that thing you did that probably stands out as an achievement that probably helped to bail that business out in a trouble. They want to see when you are under pressure, how did you respond? And person says, <laughs> uh, 
Let me see. <laughs> yeah, one time a thief came at the office. I beat him until he died. He had come to rob all the company money. I beat him up until he died. Are you asking for a security guard job? No, administrator. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? They can't even hire from the church. You're going for an interview. And the person says, Sunday, I have to be at church. <laughs> you're still in your mother's house. And you're telling your interviewer that either they give you a job that ends Saturday or what are you doing there in the first place? What are you doing there in the first place? And the person doing that is still eating in their father's house food. But they even have options. I can't work a, a night job. Eh? You're 32, 34 in your father's house. And you're saying I can't do a night job. <laughs> Ah, I wish some of you were raised by my father. This man would wake you up at five and say, go look for a job. Over where it's up to you. 5 a.m. when it's raining. He says, go look for a job. Eh? Are you following what I'm saying? Let's go back to the story of Moses. Moses tells God, I cannot speak. I'm slow with speech. And God knows too. Verses 11 and the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall say. Listen, he didn't say, I will tell you. Because Moses was not the kind you tell what to say. Moses was the kind you had to teach what to say. But he also explains how he will teach. Next verse. He said, oh, my Lord, I pray you send by the hand of some other whom you will send. He's saying, God, uh -uh, even if you, you are to teach me, no, send another person. And the Bible says, and the anger of God was kindled, blazed against Moses. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother? In other words, in completing the sentence, God was saying, I will teach you how to speak, but I will speak through your brother. Now, if God tells you, I'm going to speak through your brother, yet earlier he says, I will teach you how to speak in other words even though you're the one i've given the words i am actually going to speak through a man who knows how to speak hoping that as you walk this journey you will learn how to speak by hearing him speak because one day he will go out when you're still alive do you understand what i'm saying so he continues to say i know he can speak well he will come out to meet you and when he sees you, he will be overjoyed. You must speak to him, listen, and put the words in his mouth and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, I will teach you what you shall do. Listen, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what to do. Give me the KJV, verses 15. And thou shalt speak unto him, listen, and put, listen, words in his mouth. That's what it means. And I will be with your mouth, but only as you put your words in, his mouth and will teach you what you shall do so he says now moses for you you will do aaron will speak but i will teach you how to speak by showing you how aaron speaks 
God would have just said, let me anoint this man's mouth to speak. It was not about the slow speech. It was about the understanding that Moses needed. That kind of training that would not, not just take place by laying one of hands. It had to be transferred by some process of instruction. And God didn't have that time with him. So he says, no, let me anoint this man's lips. He could have just put, like he did in Isaiah, I think, where he put calls on the man's lips and then the man started speaking. No, it was more than just being eloquent. There was just a way Moses did not know. Why? Because if you study Moses, Moses was a very, very humble man, yet very hot-tempered. Haven't you read your Bible? He was a very, very, very humble man. The Bible says he was the most humble man on the earth. But he was a very hot-headed man. And that's why at one particular point he has to smite the rock. The Lord showed me something so deep of how it's actually possible to assign you on something. Okay? God assigning you on something. But use another man to extend what you could have done because you don't have its credentials. It happened with Moses and Aaron. This was Moses' words, but they were in another man's mouth. So if Moses had learned the language, he would not have depended on a man who at one particular point, him and his sister Miriam, almost broke whatever God was trying to build through Moses. One time they turned. Doesn't God speak to us too? They were inflated too because they were prophetic. That was the day they were judged. In fact, to think of it, if Moses had a language, perhaps these two would not have been judged. When Aaron takes off his garment, he falls dead. I have a sermon there, a long one. I'll teach about it one day. To think that God can assign you, but extend or delegate what he has placed upon your life, not because he could not give you all, but because certain things were wanting and then he extends it through another man. So you have to wait for Aaron and depend on his conveniences to articulate what God has placed on your life for a burden. What if Aaron goes wild? You need another process. Bible says in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all wisdom of Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. He was mighty in words and deed, but he did not know how to speak to Pharaoh. He didn't know how to speak to Pharaoh. This is not intelligence caution. This is emotional caution. Perhaps God knew that when this man gets angry, he might go out and speak what he's not supposed to say. Why? Because scripture tells us one time he smites what he's supposed to speak to. Because when he wants to speak, he finds himself speak another way. And God says, because you, you did not consecrate me or sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the congregation into the land which I have given you. By that time, was Aaron alive or not? You'll study. Now, back to what I'm trying to tell us here. Why should I lose all God has placed on my life? Because I am not subject. I'm not yielded. I'm not palatable to his pattern and principle to do his best. Remember the story of Vashti, the lady the king calls out to show of her beauty, Ahasuerus, or Ataxasis. Some versions call him Ataxasis, others call him Ahasuerus. And she refuses. When she refuses, he goes to his wise men. Memukan tells him, you know what? This she has done. If 
all the women in the kingdom here, they are going to rebel. So chase her away. They chase away Vashti. And then they go in the process of looking for the king, a what? A wife. You remember that story? Allow me to skip to go to Esther chapter 2 verses 12, amplified version. When the turn of each maiden, that means the ladies that were going in to see the king, came to go into the king, Ahasuerus, after the regulations for the women had been carried out for 12 months, since this was the regular period for their beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh and six months... Earlier, they're beautifying this person to meet a man. Six months with sweet spices, perfumes and the things of the purifying of women. Then in this way, the maiden came into the king. Whatever she desired was given to her to take with her from harem into the king's palace. And as when this lady stood before the king, they would talk. Then he would examine her against certain things. Then after that, he would ask her, what do you want? And she would say, oh, I want a property. And he say, okay. He signed something out for you. They give you whatever you want. Are you following? In the evening, that lady would go and return into the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She came to the king no more unless the king delighted in her and she was called by name. Now listen. Now when the turn for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, had come in to go to the king, the Bible says she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's attendant, the keeper of women, suggested. Listen. She's going in to see the king. Every woman goes in. She thinks she's beautiful. The king asks her what she wants. She tells her what she wants. She tells him what she wants. Then she goes to wait in the second harem. It's Shashgaz. Waiting. Whether they'll call her or not, at some particular point, they have to release them. Okay? This woman knows better that if I should answer the king's heart, I must go to the man that attends to him. That is right judgment. She asks him, how does he think? How does he breathe? How does he plan his woes? How does he go around this? How does he think? How does he operate? He, she gets all the answer. And the Bible says she required nothing but what the king's attendant had suggested. Esther won favor in the sight of all who saw her. Who saw her, sorry. And the Bible says, so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month of Tebeth. And the king loved Esther more than all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the maidens because he was not looking for a beautiful woman. A whole year putting spices on their face but he's not looking for a beautiful woman. He's looking for a certain language. Am I helping you, my daughters? You see, in this world, you can marry a slave or a king. But if you ever meet a kingly anointing, I'll tell you they look for language, not beauty. If you're mature enough, you've understood this. They look for language, not beauty. They look for something that defines them in you, not what you look like. If they're looking only at what you look like, then they're also not judging right. They're not judging right. He was looking for something. Judgment. Judgment. That's the thing we see with Solomon. A woman steals another woman's kid because her child died at night. You remember? Solomon, in his wisdom, says, okay, let's cut the child in half. Why is he doing that? He's saying, whoever will weep most will be the mother of this child because they will be attached to that life. And one woman said, yes, let's cut. The other one said, no, let her take that baby. Now, if Solomon was emotionally absent, if he lacked judgment, he would have said, 
you in your own words have said that this woman should take the child instead of cutting her through. So let's take the child. And there are kings seated on certain thrones, judging without the judgment of wisdom. There are kings in the world who judge this way. In other words, there are people in places of authority, any position of authority, who would have said, take the child, she has released her. And they would say, if it was your child, you'd still cry out for her. <laughs> Do you get it? If it is not true, why are you quiet? There is no smoke without fire. Then you tell them, show it to me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible where God said there is no smoke without fire. Okay, what I mean to say, what do you mean to say? The Bible says, if you meet a man and find that there is no understanding in him, walk away from him. Don't say anything. That's what the Bible says. Maybe the sister or brother is keeping quiet because they realize that the man they are talking to has no understanding. That even if you explain to them, they have no acuity to judge. It's not in them to help themselves come out of what's disturbing them. So wisdom would teach you here, keep quiet. That doesn't mean that the man or woman is guilty. They just realize that you're not mature enough to understand. Because silence surely can be misunderstood, but it cannot be misquoted. <laughs> put up your hands and I pray for you. Just put up your hands and I pray for you. Heavenly Father, we have received your word this evening. You saw it, say it to Solomon, you have given him a wise heart and an understanding one to judge. And maybe some of us ask for one wise heart, but we don't ask for an understanding one. We don't ask to judge right. We don't ask. We don't see, we don't connect to it. Yet it's available in Christ. It's available in Christ. In fact, it's not asking. It's to receive. Rightly said, this evening, every man at the sound of my voice not only receives an understanding heart, but a wise one as well. Because it's given to us. The Bible says he has been made our wisdom. Our wisdom. In him, the Bible says, in whom is hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Not as one going to be given, no. But as one simply saying yes to what's already available. And that is in Christ Jesus. There are people here who have missed opportunities. Who have missed certain blessings. Certain doors and windows have closed on them. Certain portals have lingered open, but they cannot enter. Certain gates they have failed to break. Because they lacked true judgment. Right judgment. This comes to help us to break that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you 
because we will live in your best in jesus name give the lord a mic come on come on come on clap your hands to jesus thank god for his word this evening say understanding is mine wisdom is mine in the mighty name of jesus i'll not miss my times i'll not miss my opportunities i'll not miss my doors in the mighty name of jesus amen 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 if you're there and you've never given your life to jesus and you say today apostle grace i want to have a relationship with the person you're talking about repeat these words after me just say these words father god i thank you for the gift of jesus today i have heard the message and i believe in my heart that jesus died for my sin and was raised for my glory jesus today i receive you in my heart and confess with my mouth that you are lord of my life Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.